Welcome to Plain Talk. Plain Talk has over 120 podcasts containing information about aviation technologies and pilot experiences for general and business aviation. From home to cockpit to boardroom to personal tech, Plain Talk provides information for pilots, industry insiders, and aviation enthusiasts alike. My name is Phil Lightstone. I'm a general aviation pilot with over 2,200 hours in my logbook, flying almost every week with over 30 years experience in the technology, telecommunications, and aviation industries. Well, I'd like to welcome into the Plane Talk cockpit a very cool guy, Charles Chuck Wright. Charles is uh, uh, affectionately known as Chuck. I got to know Chuck uh, when he owned uh, a Rockwell Commander 112. Uh, welcome to the Plane T- Talk cockpit, uh, Chuck. Hello, Bill. I hope you can hear me okay. I h- hear you uh, five by five. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I think uh, I seem to recall you mentioning you started flying in 2017. What, uh, what yeah. made you decide to become a pilot? Well, I, I always wanted to. I started when, uh, you know, obviously, like a lot of, not obviously, but uh, like a lot of, lot of kids. Uh, when I was 20 years old, got about uh, four or five hours in, in a plane, got the solo, and then um, life kind of got in the way, and and never, never did the ground school, and kind of dropped away. And um, back in 2017, a, a good friend of mine, sailing buddy, uh, took me to Sun and Fun. And I immediately got hooked. I went on a demo ride in several different airplanes and decided then to buy an airplane. So I, and I bought a, a, a 1998 um, Sky Arrow. Uh, in the, those short five years, you've put like 750 hours into your logbook. Yes, I, I put probably... And it was an interesting story because the the Sky Arrow is is not a really well known airplane. It's mostly known for um, for, for being modified for handy, for teaching handicapped people that uh, don't have use of their legs, oh. and um, and it, it's became still being used for that actually. And I believe in some university is using it to to um, to, to do that sort of thing, but. Yeah, I put like 450 hours on that on the Sky Arrow wow. to the point where where I was even asked by the dealer to fly a brand new Sky Arrow uh, to Oshkosh from Denver. So, and oh. I actually did that. It was pretty pretty neat. That must have been quite the uh, trip, to say the least. <laughs> it certainly was. And while, just so that the the folks aren't misled, while. Uh, you did mention the Sky Arrow was designed for disabled people. Uh, you're not a disabled person yourself. No, no. That sounded pretty cool. And then you jumped in to uh, to a commander. Well, actually, there was a short period of time. I actually the next the next uh, I forgot about this actually. Uh, uh, the next in two thousand. Uh, 17 i also purchased with the same friend that got me into flying i bought a a helicopter a uh oh. rode away a helicopter 
and uh, learned to get my and almost got my helicopter rating. I have about 17 hours in a helicopter. Wow, uh, you really decided to go full bore, as they say, into aviation. Yeah. Wow. And then you then you uh, jumped uh, into the the Commander 112. What uh, what made you pick a, a 112 as your next airplane? Actually, back when I in the, back when I was in my twenties, that was sort of my favorite airplane. I mean, I absolutely loved the looks of the Commander, and um, I really wanted one. And um, there was one came up for sale, and it, it was very well equipped. And I went out and bought it, and uh, put a bunch of hours on the Commander, and flew all over the country. And it was it was a lot of fun. And I think uh, you attended most uh, during that time most of the commander owner groups uh, get-togethers. I did. Got to know all the all the folks, as they say. I, I did. It was it was uh, uh, it was it was very good. I got to I still have really good friends to the commander. I actually attended the commander fly in this past year. Neat. Present company included, of course. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and then after the commander, you. Jumped into uh, 1958 Aranka Tri Traveler. That's correct. Completely different airplane. Completely different. Yes, I, I wanted to go back. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the Sky Arrow because it was a stick airplane, and um, you really could feel it. And I, I can equate this with uh, with sailboat racing. Um, you know, I'm an avid sailboat racer, and and I could always find in a very lightweight high performance sailboat is when you can actually feel how to properly trim the sailboat and and so I, I sort of got the same sort of feelings with with the airplanes the sky arrow was was very light and it was very maneuverable and you really got to understand you know stalls and when the wings not operating the way it's supposed to be and it's it was just a, a very you know you got a very good feel of, of what the airplane is doing. And I kind of wanted to get back to that. And this Aronka Champ really, or Tri-Traveler actually uh, has those same features. Very cool. And then I uh, understand more recently, you just picked up uh, a Vans RV3. Yes, that's my next, <laughs> my, uh, that's my next, uh, in my next area to explore is actually You're trying to get into some, you know, limited aerobatics. So uh, a new adventure for you. <laughs> yeah. And I think for yeah. f just to remind f uh, the audience, that's a single seat, tail dragger, aerobatic, 210 knot, knot airplane. Yes, I think the never exceed is like 207 knots. Wow. But, um, it, it, from what I understand, and from, I'm, I'm being forewarned to... Uh, it's an airplane that you have to pay attention to not giving it uh, full throttle on a straight and level <laughs> flight because you can actually reach that never exceed limit. Wow. Do you have any aerobatic uh, experience? Um, I, I, when I first took my lessons back when I was 20 years old, I was fortunate enough to, to I had a female instructor, I forget her name, but I, I actually took my, my, the, 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 seven or eight hours that I had was in a aerobatic uh, Cessna 150. And so I, I had very limited, that was like 50 years ago, but 
Um, I, I have uh, signed up for a aerobatics course with Patty Wagstaff down here in Florida. Oh, that I think that's a great first step, so that you know you know what the the box looks like, and you know what recovery looks <laughs> like, and you're not trying to teach it yourself in a single seat airplane. Yes, I very much intend to take this very cautiously and uh, not push the limit. I can certainly see you in an inverted Lomschavak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, folks are probably scratching their head. What the heck's an inverted Lomschavak? What's a Lomschavak? <laughs> so are you going to, uh, just for safety reasons, are you going to uh, wear a parachute? I, I, well, I'm, I, I know the... Um, the regulations state that you're supposed to, and I don't, I'm, like I said, I'm not going to get into this. When I first start flying the RV3, it probably will not be with a parachute, and it will probably be no aerobatics until I, I get to that point. But I believe uh, when you're actually doing training in aerobatics, you do wear a parachute. I'm actually not familiar totally with what the regulations are on that. Yeah, I think, uh, at least up here in Canada, uh, to do aerobatics, you, you have to have a, a parachute. I chatted with uh, parachute manufacturers and riggers historically, and one thing that they just impressed upon me is you always, always, always want to put your parachute on on the ground, not in the cockpit. There was a, an instance where one of their clients would routinely just buckle up in the cockpit, and sadly during an incident with the aircraft and at altitude and he hadn't buckled up and exited the aircraft uh, with uh, the uh, parachute in still in, in, in the aircraft. And, uh, <laughs> it's like a wily e. coyote kind of move, right? <laughs> so horrible. Yeah. But I think uh, if I was flying an RV-3 and I was going to do aerobatics, I'd want to be completely consistent every flight, whether it's aerobatic or not. I've got my parachute on, just in case you have a, God forbid, an engine fire or electrical fire or something bad in the cockpit. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, and I've been, you know, and I like to research things also and, and get my background uh, nailed down before I try doing things. But one of the things that I've actually been trying to find information on is actual people that have had to exit an airplane because I can't imagine it's, it's very easy to do. <laughs> um, you know. Yeah, I think you should tell, call up Sean Tucker because I think with all the aerobatics he's done, he's been very vocal about how many times he's exited the aircraft with, the, with his parachute. Really? I, I, I'll have to get name, his name and uh, number when we get out of this. But yeah, that's a great uh, point. Uh, have you ever skydived before? I have skydived, yes. Oh, so yeah. you, you know how to exit the airplane. You know, well, it's real easy when it has a big garage door in the back of the airplane. <laughs> and the garage door is open. <laughs> and the garage door is open, yeah. And, you know, planes like gliders, I know there's been many uh, uh, examples of that. But those those things have, you know, canopies that eject, uh, you know, that you can actually jettison the mm. canopy. And so I can understand that being a bit easier. But with, with uh, like this RV3 has a swing open canopy. So I'm not quite sure 
how that would respond. You know, and maybe this comes from me being a scientist. I, I like to look not only I look at the I like to look at the big picture. So not just putting the parachute on, but what you actually have to do to exit the airplane. Now hopefully, the RV three has a canopy jettison latch built in. It it doesn't. Really, I guess that's going to be your first mod. <laughs> if there is a mod, I haven't. I have, that's one of the things I haven't found is a mod really? to do that. There is a, there is a, uh, a build that can, has the canopy that can slide open. Right. And that, see that being able to function, but in, in any case. I guess the good news with it being an experimental home-built aircraft, uh, you get to design your own mod, install it. And... <laughs> that's a good point. The other, the other, quite honestly, the other thing that I'm, in contact with is the uh, the, the BRS parachutes. Uh, they they have started making those for the vans aircraft, and I I will look into uh, fitting the airplane with with that as long as the weight capacity is does, you know doesn't exceed the the weight limits of the aircraft. You know, I was always curious because I think the BRS parachute fixes a uh, optics problem, which is when you're heading out, you know, with some friends. Uh, passengers to your Commander 112, uh, and you're carrying your personal parachute, and they're looking at you going, Chuck, where's mine? Oh, yeah, sorry, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't in the budget. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Where, for sure. Whereas the folks, you know, the, the BRS folks that have their chutes and Cirruses, and I think there's retrofit <laughs> kits for 172s and 182s, and a bunch of air, other airplanes, uh, the whole airplane comes down under under a shoot, but I think uh, probably doing a uh, quick mod to your own, a jettison mod, is going to be way more cost effective than slapping a, a BRS shoot into the whole airplane. Um, possibly so, but um, like I said, I haven't, I haven't gotten that far yet, and before I start any aerobatics, yeah. and one of the things I have checked into is that the uh, the RV3 is an exceptional airplane to fly just under normal category uh, mm. uh, limitations, and, and that will be a, a, a huge learning experience for me to begin with anyway. Oh, absolutely. Well, it's, it's you know, obviously significantly faster than the um, yeah. Commander. Yeah. And, uh, and the Commander is not rated for aerobatics, so to be able to to do uh, loops and rolls and Lamshavox and split out. Not unless you're Bob Hoover. Unless you're Bob, well, yeah. The, folks, uh, Chuck is talking about this cool video, Bob Hoover flying a, a Rockwell Commander 114 uh, in the aerobatics category and rolling it and looping it. And so you've had kind of an interesting journey at a couple of airports looking to build your own hangar. Yes, um, I, I I purchased a, a hangar in uh, Taunton, Massachusetts, um, and it uh, un, unbeknownst to me, you know, not being a, you know just new into aviation, I never realized that the, the even though you buy the hangar and you own the building, you don't necessarily own the land that it's on, um, and on um, and so this this one hangar, when it, 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 as it turns out, this one hangar that I purchased was um, uh, the lease, the land 
that is leased from the city for this hangar uh, was coming up for renewal after 20 years. Hmm. And so uh, not realizing that, that this, um, you know, you could basically lose the, lose the, lose your investment if uh, you don't get your lease renewed. And so that was a, a, an issue in Taunton, Massachusetts, where um, getting the lease renewed to the point where it was still, you know, cost effective and, and they weren't, uh, the, the city wasn't, wasn't trying to, uh, you know, basically take your hanger by not renewing your lease. Hmm. So I've, I've learned a lot about that. And, uh, and I've also learned uh, that in uh, many other states, North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, that, that this is a, this has been a common theme in the United States where the cities are actually trying to acquire the, the ownership of the hangars that have been purchased and built by, you know, private owners. And so this is, this is, seems to be a common theme. And wow. so it, it has been an uphill struggle. So in your, in your case in Totten, does that mean if you're not able to uh, renegotiate the land lease, the building that you bought, the hangar you bought, transitions over to the city for free? Like they don't have a requirement to make you whole for the cost of the hangar? That's correct. That's wow. correct. So they get free buildings. Not cool. That's correct. And this is, a, this is something that was sort of put into effect or sort of suggested, I should say, by the FAA that... Uh, Municipal airports govern their FBOs and their, their, their the, the commercial buildings that are on their lease that are on the airports that they have this built-in reversionary clause, which 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 basically states that that at the end of the lease the building goes over to the city uh, that owns the airport. Wow! And so, as a way of controlling what happens to the airport down the, down the road, and this works fine for for a commercial FBO building because they can build their prices to basically pay for that building over the course of the 20 years. And it doesn't mm. really matter to them, but that's not the case for general aviation owners that, that want to just keep their airplane in a, in their own garage per se. Well, it's a complete cost as opposed to, as you said, the FBO is adding more revenue through increased Fuel rates, maintenance rates, parking rates, hangarage rates, etc. What was it like going through that negotiation with the Totten city folks? It, it, it was, it, it, you know, we, we actually enlisted help from the AOPA. Um, I forget the uh, uh, the person's name, but he he assists, you know, property owner or tenants and general aviation questions and things like that. He actually came to the uh, came for a talk at our airport and basically was trying to just say, well, you just got to work with the city and try to try to um, work with the political end of things and get things changed to the point where they can understand where you're coming from and to promote general aviation is good for the city and is good for um, for general aviation also. And uh, this airport doesn't have any commercial entities it has one one a and p shop on it but it doesn't really have 
many commercial entities on the airport. So general aviation is is, is the mainstay of, of keeping the airport alive. So we tried several different methods, and there was just a couple people on the airport commission that were dead fast in terms of putting the airport in a direction not favorable to general aviation. So basically, we, I mean, the bottom line is I had to work really hard on the political side to to get the, uh, the, the mayor to basically replace those individuals that were were uh, causing issues or causing the conflict at the airport. And that finally happened, and we finally resolved everything, and the airport is very successful now, and, and things have turned the corner. We've signed a new lease. It, it gives us... Uh, Two twenty-year, two uh, twenty-year terms for the lease, and uh, all is well. And you actually went into some extraordinary steps to help the mayor down that road by deciding during the an election year to run for mayor yourself. I, I, I did, I did, and it and it and it sort of put a big emphasis on how important this this particular topic was. It made it a sort of a campaign um, issue in which it really caused the mayor to pay attention to what was happening, you know, so that she could actually become reelected. So it, 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 uh, it worked out well. I mean, it, it, it solved the, uh, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to say what, what happens, but all I know is everything turned a corner within two months after I put my name and got the backing, the public backing to run for mayor. So whether or not it's because of that, it certainly certainly appears like that was the case. Well, Chuck, that's really thinking outside of the box. I think we all have to applaud you for your, your can-do attitude. Um, and, and then uh, on, on, on top of that, it's actually had an effect globally because it, it I'm not sure. I'm not 100% sure it, it's been the root cause, but um, we're, we're undergoing. I'm undergoing similar things happening in South Florida, in putting forth to the airport commissioner, uh, airport manager rather, and the uh, city city in Florida about the positive effect that this had in in Massachusetts. Uh, we just recently. Um, was able to have them change their uh, leases for general aviation to give um, three 30-year terms for leasing the land, which wow. which makes it uh, now you can come down here and build a hangar, and it can be an investment, not necessarily a a handicap or a liability or a deductible item, because there is becoming such a demand for hangars. So, are you planning on building more hangars and? We're under negotiation right now, and actually today is the day that we're supposed to find out if the if the city has accepted our proposal for for uh, leasing the land to build a hangar. And so, yes, if all works out, that's my plan. Not only were you, a, for some period of time, a, um, an airplane fleet owner, it sounds like you're going to be a, a, a hangar baron. <laughs> Uh, well, it, it, it is the hardest thing about, you know, you can go out and buy an airplane, but it's, it is, as you probably know in Canada, it's really, really hard to find places to put these things. Well, having gone through, on a personal note, 
losing an airport that was built in, in the, the late 50s uh, and trying to find uh, homes for roughly 250 to 300 airplanes in the, in the greater Toronto area. Yeah, there's like not enough airports, not enough hangars, too many airplanes, and it's a, a big challenge. Well, there's never too many airplanes. No, that's true. <laughs> Can't have too many, but it is a big uh, challenge, and it'll certainly be interesting to to see how the you know local airports are are going to deal with the the whole electric airplane phenomena as it starts to gain a little little momentum, and how the municip- municipalities or the privately owned airports are going to invest capital to facilitate the uh, electric infrastructure needed for those airplanes. Yeah, I think those will be uh, the turning turning of the tables when it comes to uh, commuter-type, uh, um, you know, aviation is when, when, it, when you can start using electric airplanes. I know there's a lot of talk against that, but... Oh, I think that the whole air taxi environment uh, that currently is utilizing uh, GA aircraft running 100 low lead. Uh, this becomes an interesting political win, uh, at least from an EPA perspective, um, to migrate off of fossil fuel to clean, clean energy, uh, if you will, powered airplanes. And there's certainly been a lot of development in, uh, in, in that world. So with all that said, What's on the horizon, uh, Chuck? For me, uh, trying to learn how to fly this RV3 and to see if I can uh, become uh, fairly successful in, in understanding how to do, you know, your basic barrel rolls and uh, that sort of thing. I'm sort of excited to uh, get up to St. Augustine and, and uh, fly in a extra 300. Oh, that will be really fun, no doubt. And especially if you can, if you're able to go up with Patty Wagstaff, she's such a phenomenal uh, <laughs> she pilot. She sure is, yeah. Well, Chuck, thank you so much for being part of the Plane Talk podcast. My pleasure. Thank you, Phil. Thanks for listening to this episode of Plane Talk. If you have any ideas for a future Plane Talk episode, please go to the Contact Us page at plaintalk.ca and send in your idea. Don't forget to like us at plaintalk.ca, our Facebook and LinkedIn pages, and this podcast. And never stop living the dream.